Good morning, church family again, uh, whether you're watching online or out on the patio, we're here in person with most of us. Uh, so great to have our choir back with us today after a summer break. And so let's thank them again for leading us in worship. You know, Christians talk a lot about values these days. We hear about family values, Judeo-Christian values, values-based voting, values-based investing. But sometimes it's unclear exactly which values people are talking about. The New Testament, part of the Bible, contains 13 different lists of good values, but none of those 13 lists are exactly the same. Some Christians prioritize some values over other ones, like the values of fairness and equality, or the values of liberty and freedom. Others elevate values like truth, or purity, compassion, or courage. Which values should we emphasize the most? Well, today we finish our four-part series, Glenkirk on Mission. and In this series, we've been renewing our commitment to our mission as a congregation. And I want to thank you for the many, many kind and encouraging words that so many of you shared with me about this series over the last uh, three weeks, and it's been deeply appreciated. Our mission here at Glenkirk is to be a worshiping community, inviting everyone to join in the journey of becoming fully devoted followers of Jesus Christ loving God and his world. So we see that on our walls now, of worship, invite, become, and love. We talked about worship, that we're all about Jesus. We've talked about invite, that we are about other people. Last Sunday, we talked about becoming, that we are about discipleship. And today we end this series by talking about love, loving God and loving others. I couldn't think of a better song for the quartet to sing before the message today than the one that they did. Today, we're going to look at what it means for us to renew our commitment to love. And we're going to do that by looking at why Jesus says love is the greatest of all Christian values. So if you are able, I want to invite you, would you stand with me for the reading of God's word from Mark chapter 12, verses 28 through 31. This is the word of the Lord for us today. One of the teachers of the law came and heard them debating. Noticing that Jesus had given them a good answer, he asked Jesus, of all the commandments, which is the most important? The most important one, answered Jesus, is this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. The second is this. Love your neighbor as yourself. There is no commandment greater than these. You can be seated. Back in Jesus' day, the Jewish rabbis had calculated that God had given 613 different commandments to his people in the Old Testament. And undergirding those 613 commands were various values. Values like faithfulness, courage, freedom, honesty, and so forth. 
And many of these Jewish rabbis debated which of the commands was the most important. And so here, an expert in the Old Testament law invites Jesus to give his opinion, to weigh in on this ongoing debate. And the first part of Jesus' answer was a well-known command from the Old Testament book of Deuteronomy, Deuteronomy chapter 6. This passage was so important that back then and even today, many Jewish people recite this passage that Jesus quotes here in Hebrew every day, twice a day, once in the morning and once at night. It's a foundational command in ancient and modern Judaism. No one would have been surprised that Jesus picks this command from Deuteronomy. But the second part of Jesus' answer would have taken people completely off. It would have surprised them. Jesus finds an obscure little command tucked away in the middle of the book of Leviticus. You know Leviticus, right? When you do your through the Bible in the year, that's where you stop. Leviticus is known for all of its temple ritual laws and its food purity laws and laws about ceremonial cleanness. And amid all of these ritual laws, Leviticus 19.18 commands God's people to love their neighbor as they love themselves. And Jesus put these two commands together, love of God and love of neighbor as a single command. That's why we call it the great commandment. Because for Jesus, love for God and love for neighbor belong together. In the Christian faith, love is the highest value. Love is the highest value. There is no value, no command more important than love, says Jesus. Now, you may already know this, but the ancient Greeks had a variety of different words to describe different kinds of love. Um, in C.S. Lewis's classic book, The Four Loves, Lewis describes these different kinds of loves. Lewis points out that the Greek word eros, romantic love, describes the kind of love that flows from attraction. It's an important kind of love, but it's not what Jesus is talking about here. Lewis points out that the Greek word storge, affection, describes the kind of natural, innate love that we have for our families or for our own people or for our country as patriots. It's also an important kind of love, but it's not the kind of love Jesus is talking about here. There's also the Greek word philia, friendship. The kind of love people share when they look at the world the same way and they journey through life side by side as friends. The ancient Greeks and Romans believed that friendship was the highest and purest form of love, but that's also not the kind of love Jesus is talking about here. Romance, attraction, and friendship are all what Lewis calls need love. The kind of love that flows from something that we need, our need for companionship or intimacy or a family or a sense of belonging. But the ancient Christians used a completely different word, a relatively rare word back then, the Greek word agape, to describe God's own kind of love. And that's the word Jesus uses in the Great Commandment. 
In contrast to need love, C.S. Lewis says that agape is gift love. Agape is the kind of love that gives without expecting anything in return. The kind of love that costs something for us to offer another person. We don't offer this kind of love out of our own need. We offer it as a generous, free gift. And in the Bible, there is no kind of value higher than this kind of love. So what might it mean for us to recommit ourselves as a congregation to this kind of love? Well, we can't share this love unless we've experienced it ourselves. We can't give away something that we ourselves don't have. Until we've received God's gift love in our own lives, it will always seem like wishful thinking to share it with others. John 1 John 4.19 says, We love because he first loved us. But once we've experienced gift love through our faith in Jesus, what might it mean for us to share it with others? Let me share some of my hopes for Glenkirk in the months and years ahead. And let's start with our love for God. You know, although the words heart, soul, mind, and strength, they probably overlap a lot. I'm going to try to separate them a little bit to talk about our love for God. We will be a community of love for God when our whole hearts are captured by God. Our whole hearts. In the Bible, the word heart is not primarily about your feelings or your emotions. In the Bible, the Greek word Jesus uses here describes our whole inner person. Your heart is the inner control center of your life. And loving God with our whole heart means that nothing in our inner life is held back from God. Not even the ugly parts. Not even the broken parts. The hidden parts. Our entire inner self is captured by love for God. We'll be a community of love for God when our whole souls are directed by God. In the Bible, your soul is the force of life within you. That, that part of you given to you by God that makes you alive. Without your soul animating your body, your body would die. And so loving God with my soul means that as long as I have breath and as long as I have a pulse, my life is directed to and for God. My soul is consumed with love for God. We'll be a community of love for God when our whole minds are being renewed. When our minds are being renewed. Jesus actually adds the word mind to this command. You, you don't find it in Deuteronomy 6. Jesus adds it. Our mind is our capacity to reason. It's our intellectual ability to think critically so that we can evaluate different points of view. Using our minds gives us the ability to read an article and to evaluate its logic, to listen to a news story and reflect on its bias, to watch a movie and be able to discern its underlying message. Many classic humanities courses like literature, philosophy, critical thinking are intended to help people develop this capacity to think critically. About 30 years ago, a Reformed theologian named Mark Knoll wrote a book called The Scandal of the Evangelical Mind. 
And Noel said the scandal of the evangelical mind is there isn't much of one. Writing about 30 years ago, Noel said that most evangelical churches in the U.S. were filled with an anti-intellectual bias that caused people to distrust critical thinking and science and to treat faith as opposed to reason. And not much has changed since Mark Noel wrote that book. A community that loves God with our all will learn to love God with our reasoning ability, with our mind. And finally, we'll be a community of love for God when our strength is devoted to God, our strength, loving God with all of our strength. Our strength represents our capacities, our resources to do things. Our strength is our ability to make decisions, to exercise free agency as human beings, to use what we have to enrich the lives of others or influence our world. One of my kids recently got a new job that more than doubled his salary from his previous job. And after congratulating him on his new job, I challenged him to decide in advance before he even started his new job on how he was going to use those resources to live out his values. How might he use this new strength he had to make the world a better place? Loving God with all our strength means every resource we have is a way to love God. Dietrich Bonhoeffer put it this way in a lecture to his students. He said, withhold nothing of yourself from God. He wants you yourself, just as you are. He wants nothing from you, but he wants you completely. Loving God with our all. But what about loving our neighbors in the world? You might picture the people that you already love as being in a circle. Let's call it your circle of love. The great commandment to love our neighbors as we love ourselves is a call to continually make that circle bigger. A commitment to loving people in the world will lead us out of a small circle and into an ever larger circle. Let me share some of my hopes for loving others here at Glencoe. We'll be a community of love for the world when we love each other in our church community. Loving each other in our church community. Loving our neighbors in the world starts with how we love each other right here at Glenkirk. Glenkirk is the lab where we learn to practice love. And some of us need a lot of practice. We're not always very good at loving each other. Many of us have picked up bad habits from our families or from the media or from our culture about what it means to love. And romantic love, affection, and friendship don't really prepare us for gift love that Jesus calls us to. So our church gives us the opportunity to learn to practice gift love. We do this when we open our, our lives to each other. Trusting each other, supporting each other, believing the best about each other. And believe me, I know that churches can be painful places. I've been deeply wounded by people in churches in the past, and I still carry some of those emotional scars, and I know that many of you have gone through those experiences as well. But the great commandment invites us to always choose love. 
Love chooses kindness over retaliation. It chooses reconciliation over rupture. It chooses forgiveness over bitterness. The great commandment starts with the church. But then it moves from being a community of love in the church to love for our families. Love for our families. And it may surprise you that I don't start with our families But in the New Testament, our bond to the people of God actually becomes even before our physical families. There's this story in Matthew chapter 12 when, when Jesus asks, who is my mother and who are my brothers? And then Jesus points to his disciples and said, here are my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of my Father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. Matthew 12, 48 through 50. It's a radical statement. Now, for some of us, members of our physical families are also part of God's people because we have parents or siblings who believe in Jesus, or we have kids who follow Jesus, or we have a spouse who follows Jesus. And this is a wonderful gift for those who have it. But remember, not everyone has that. Loving our neighbor as ourselves means treating members of our family with gift love instead of need love. Husbands and wives learning to love each other, submitting to each other, listening to each other, forgiving each other, leading each other in partnership. Parents loving their kids with gift love as their kids develop and make mistakes and develop personalities of their own and eventually launch out on their own. Adult children loving their parents with gift love by forgiving them for the ways that they failed and showing their parents ongoing support and honor as they age. Great commandment applies to our families, but it doesn't stop there either. We will be a community of love when we love our friends and neighbors as well. The circle gets bigger. And here I'm talking about our literal neighbors, showing love to the people who live in our neighborhoods. Learning to love with God's kind of love when we're out to dinner with friends or at the gym or at a school board meeting or when we're at the coffee shop. Intentionally showing unselfish, Christ-like gift love to people, to our friends and neighbors. Now, this is where a lot of churches stop. They focus on loving each other, loving their families, and loving their friends and neighbors. And that's the end of it. But the great commandment doesn't stop there. We'll also be a community of love. The circle will get bigger when we cross boundaries to love people who are different than us, loving those who are different than we are. You know, in Luke's account of Jesus being asked this question and giving the the great commandment, Someone asked Jesus a follow-up question. Jesus, who is my neighbor? And the guy who asked Jesus that question probably had a list of people in his mind that he didn't want to be his neighbor. So is my neighbor the person who lives right next door to me? Is it the people on my block? Is it the people who live within my city limits? Are my neighbors my fellow citizens? Are my neighbors the people of my same race or culture? And in response to that question, Jesus told a story, a very famous story, about a Samaritan, 
a person who was very different than the person who asked Jesus the question, who is my neighbor? And that good Samaritan crossed boundaries of culture, race, religion, prejudice, to show love to a man who was a lot like the man who asked the question. Gift love crosses boundaries. Boundaries of race and culture. Boundaries of class, economics, and politics. Both citizens and immigrants are our neighbor. Both the rich and the poor are our neighbors. Both the powerful and the powerless are our neighbors. You see, if those of us who've experienced the gift love of God can't cross these boundaries, my friends, no one can. The great commandment is one reason why there's no room for racism or classism within the Christian community. Because we've got to purge those things from our hearts to cross boundaries, to show love. But you know what? The great commandment doesn't even stop here. We will be a community of love for the world when we love our enemies. In Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, Jesus said that if Christians only love people who love them back, that they're no different than anybody else in the world. And then Jesus says in Luke chapter 6, verse 34, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you. The circle gets bigger. And Jesus didn't just say it. He lived it. In fact, he loved us when we were his enemies. Even our enemy is our neighbor. Who might that be for you? Maybe someone who's on the opposite side of a, of a political issue. They're your neighbors. Maybe a, a parent whose actions deeply hurt you. They're your neighbor. Maybe a church leader who betrayed you or hurt you. They're your neighbor too. And I'm not suggesting that this is easy or simple. It's not surprising that a lot of churches stop at loving each other in the church and loving their families and loving their friends and neighbors. Because sometimes loving our enemies is a long process where we have to work through our own pain and trauma. Sometimes we need help from, from professionals like therapists or counselors or pastors or spiritual directors. But Jesus is clear that even those who wish us harm are our neighbors. Love for the world moves out. It moves out from our church community to our families, to our neighborhoods. It crosses boundaries to people who are different than us and even to our neighbors. Because love is the greatest value in the Christian faith. Centuries ago, there was a Greek philosopher named Aristotle who warned that all good values become bad values when they're in excess. Too much courage can become foolishness. 
Truth can become brutal bluntness. Liberty can become apathy. Good values become bad values when they're too much. And about 700 years after Aristotle wrote that, uh, an African Christian by the name of Augustine read what Aristotle said, and he said, well, Aristotle is right, or at least mostly right. Aristotle said the one, or, uh, Augustine said that the one exception to what Aristotle said was love. You can't have too much love for God or too much love for your neighbor. And Augustine said that love, God's kind of love, gift love, is the only value that can regulate all the other values and keep good values from becoming bad values. In fact, Augustine went so far to say that if you look at what a person loves and how a person loves, that will tell you everything you need to know about that person's values. I believe now is the time for us to recommit ourselves to our mission as a congregation of worship, invite, become, and love. To get busy making Jesus the star of our story instead of ourselves. To step out of our comfort zone, to share our lives and our faith with those who don't yet know Jesus to become more fully devoted to Jesus as we practice our own spiritual formation and engage in discipleship opportunities here at Glenkirk, and most importantly, to love extravagantly, unselfishly, humbly. So that when people look at us and see what we love and how we love, that will tell them everything they need to know about what we value. Let's pray. Father, thank you for these words of Jesus. And thank you for his ability to cut through all of the commands that you've given. All important commands that reflect something about your character. And to distill it all in loving you with our all and loving our neighbors ourselves. God, may we be that kind of congregation. May we be a congregation that worships you passionately, that invites others because they matter to us, that's growing and becoming, and that loves. Give us vision to see things as you see them. For we pray these things in Christ's name. Amen.